to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster recovery, business continuity, resilience, crisis management, anything that helps you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me on LinkedIn. I am the only Alex Fullick there. I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get. Well, it's that time again. I'd like to welcome to the show, Regina Phelps. Regina. So good to see you. Thank you. What a surprise. Our monthly soiree. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And we always have the interesting topics, things to point out that's going on in the world. And, uh, well, there's a lot of that going on right now. Absolutely. And so just before we start, tell me, anything interesting going on in Canada? Uh, our weather. What about the RCMP website? I heard that that, or not the website, but their their actual site had been hacked. Have you been following that at all? Not yet. No, I've been so busy <laughs> these last couple of days. I haven't gotten to everything, uh, but I did hear about it, uh, mm-hmm. which was uh, rather interesting. Uh, I find that uh, you know a government agency or government related agency <laughs> like the RCMP um, would have one of their sites hacked when. They have people always, you know, sending out safety messages. You know, be careful of what you do and protect your data, et cetera, et cetera, and your ID. <clears throat> and they're the ones who get hacked. It's really interesting times, I think, when you look at the issues going on in the cyberspace. And there are so many high-profile attacks going on, and all kinds of information about things that could be coming in the near future with the types of uh, malware that's being created and countries that are really aggressively hacking. So I think we're not talking about that so much this particular time, but I think there's a lot of opportunity for um, really improving both crisis management and continuity plans for those things that are unexpected, like a cyber attack, which is, is kind of the the general theme I think we're going to really try and talk about when you look at the issues of leadership at time of crisis, because many times you have great plans and you have great processes, but sometimes none of those work and you have to start at square one. And that's certainly what a cyber attack can do. Well, let's talk about that leadership. Mm-hmm. You recently published an article um, on uh, GRC, I believe. Yeah. GRC Outlook. Yeah. Uh, about uh, leadership in times of crisis. So why don't we talk about that? Yeah, what a good idea. I'm just going to show a slide just for a moment. And so for those of us uh, that are actually being seen on YouTube, you'll be able to see this, but I'll describe it for those people that are not on YouTube and are actually um, just hearing us uh, on Voice America. So what I want to talk about today and what we're going to ping back and forth with each other is this concept of the seven essential skills required to manage a crisis. And so I want you to think about, first of all, is that One of the things about the work that we do, and I know that we all know this, but I want to start by saying initially, when you think about our work, crisis management, resiliency, emergency management, 
disaster recovery, we always have to be in a constant state of readiness. You know, we always have to be ready for the next thing. So that's kind of the first requirement of the work that we do. And the second is that we have to have a wide range of contingencies that you've thought about and hopefully documented in your business continuity plan or other types of documentation. But you know, sometimes you're in a situation where even though you're in a constant state of readiness and you've documented a lots of response, many times the things that you're facing doesn't actually fit any of those. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, you got to start over. And I think you, we certainly saw that when we uh, all lived through the COVID pandemic. People had thought about pandemics, but not in the way that that actually happened. We've thought about cyber attacks, but maybe you're, the attack that ha- happens to your company is vastly more difficult, vastly more complicated. And so you've thought about these things, but maybe you just don't have the processes or plans or team members in place to manage it. And so I think what we're just going to ping pong back and forth today is really the seven skills that I think are required when you're faced with that situation. I like what you said uh, uh, just a a moment ago uh, uh, about different situations. They don't unfold the way you plan for. Well, you know, have you ever been through a disaster that unfolds the way you want it to? No. If it does, does, (laughs) is it even a disaster then? Exactly right. Exactly right. You're absolutely spot on. I think I think in our minds, we imagine it going smoothly. We imagine all the people showing up, all the equipment being available. We're able to reach everybody. We're contacting people. There's good communication, blah, 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 blah. And of course, um, many times none of that happens. Yeah. And I think we're, I mean, with what we've talked about before and all the different talks we've had over time recently with poly crises and the effects affecting the world, I mean, every day there's something going on that is really maybe what we've never thought about before, never thought it would happen to us. We don't have plans for it, et cetera. So I think in our job now, we're faced with this on a regular basis, but still people can be very flat footed. Mm -hmm. And so I, I thought it'd be really good today, maybe if we just sort of highlight the seven skills I think that you need to be thinking about all the time. And we're just going to ping these back and forth and then and then really see where that lands for folks. And so the seven skills really are, first of all, gathering situational awareness. We'll talk a lot about that. How to improvise and that you have to improvise when things, of course, aren't documented or your plans don't match and all of that. The importance of being really creative and adaptable um, when you're faced with these situations, being decisive. And that's really important, especially in the part of leadership. And we'll talk a lot about that. That you have to actually then do something. So you made a decision, now you have to act. And then the issues of communication. And then lastly, what we're doing is constantly reevaluating back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And so this is really a continuous loop that we're constantly going through in the kind of work that we do. And so I wanted to start with this, and then we're just going to go around the circle, if you will, and ping things back and forth at each other and really talk through this whole process. Does that sound good? Sounds great to me. Okay. Okay. So, so the first well, the first one is gathering situational awareness. Ah, so when you think about gathering situational awareness, what do you think that really, in, in, how does that how does that resonate for you? If you're the planner of a group or you're leading a group and somebody says we need to gather situational awareness, what do you think that means in your experience? Well, part of it is understanding what, what's the issue, who's impacted, who's involved, uh, who it, 
it, it's really a, a real big picture of where am I standing right now? What, mm -hmm. What's going on around me? Uh, you know, is, is this uh, something that I need to be concerned with? Because sometimes something happens that, you know what, this can be managed through the help desk. You know, right. it, it's right. not a red flag. It can be done uh, by our help desk. We can fix it. It'll be done in two hours. Fingers crossed, of course. Mm -hmm. But understanding and keeping, uh, as, as you even mentioned, communications open that, hey, here's the progress. Yes, it will be fixed in three uh, two hours uh, instead of one hour. Um, or no, we've encountered bigger issues. Okay, we need to bring in more people. And it's understanding the situation as it unfolds around you and where you are. Mm -hmm. who, and who's impacted, who's not impacted. Who do I need to uh, address this situation? What teams internally and potentially externally? Uh, what is being said, if anything, depending on the situation on social media? Do I need, are there massive rumors going uh, going on? Is there a protest outside? because of the situation. So it's really understanding everything that's around you. And mm -hmm. by you, it can be not just the person. I mean, you, the organization that is experiencing right. something. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it, when, you, when we talk about gathering situational awareness, for many people, they think, well, that's okay. That's pretty straightforward. But you just ticked off a bunch of things that are not so straightforward. Mm -hmm. So when you think about gathering situational awareness, first of all, it's really understanding, uh, first of all, what the heck is even impacted. And so how did you find out about something? How did information come to you? Um, and how did it really come to you? I mean, you know, sometimes you look at people in our roles inside corporations, something can, can begin to happen in one location, uh, not in your corporate headquarters, but someplace else. How did that, you know, come to you? So do you have plans and processes where people know, gosh, bad thing happens. I need to call mom, mom, like the central you know, our organization, or maybe it's someplace within your organization. It could be, you know, someplace within technology and the network operations center could be something like physical security. And sometimes what happens is in those areas, what I've found is that many times they, they try and solve things for a while before they report up because it's bigger than a bread box. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I often find it's like, Ooh, you know, I don't really want to call mom and let them know that something's going on. We're going to try and fix it ourselves. And so that can sometimes delay it. And so when you think about situational awareness, you have to look at all the internal things, you know, and for me, that's who are all the places in my organization where something could happen. And we could start to tick them off as I already started with, you know, physical security. That's a great spot facilities where maybe where something's happening with a building. Maybe your air conditioning just died and it's 100 degrees outside Fahrenheit. Or maybe it's something in your network operations center. Or maybe there's something with a key vendor that now all of a sudden can't provide a service or a product and it's going to impact your business operations. But how does all of that information get to people like us, right? Mm -hmm. And that mapping is really important. So that's kind of the internal thing really important, but have you actually really mapped it out? So when we work with companies, the first thing I like to do is map the world is what I call it. Where could things happen? How do they know to call you? How do they know to call a certain number? So it's really mapping that out. I find often that is often poorly done or not done at all. Not that, yeah. not that people have missed it, right? But they just don't think about it. <clears throat> right? I remember working for a company, they had, uh, um, I don't know if the United States has this, but um, we had two processes, 911 and 411. 911 mm -hmm. speaks for itself. We know what that is. 
Yep. If there's some, something major, the world gets internally, the world gets notified. You know, everyone, everything gets mobilized. 411 is information. Mm-hmm. We have so the same it, thing. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, okay, I, I wasn't sure because yeah. I've never never seen it actually mentioned down yeah. there. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, sharing of information, we have an incident. Mm-hmm. Everybody's aware. Don't panic. Our help desk, like I said, mentioned earlier, an example is going through the usual um, processes of investigating, contacting the right people. They are taking a look at it to find out what the situation is. Do we need to escalate to a nine one one? But it mm-hmm. puts everyone on notice so that they are aware there is a situation, and if mm-hmm. it gets resolved. Great, wonderful. It's if it doesn't get resolved, I'm already know uh, that I have to uh, look at my plan or pull my plan out and mm-hmm. take a look at it and get ready, you know, mm-hmm. in case it escalates. Right, right, right. Yeah, the the that that piece of information uh, internally is one of the things I think that's really important. But then what you're also mentioning is really the outside information. So how do you know something is going on? Do you have some sort of system within your community that you've signed up for that you get notifications from your government, for example, if there's a particular issue? Or are you getting pre-notifications from your utility company that maybe there's going to be an unplanned outage, uh, you know, immediately going to be happening that's going to impact you? Do you have something like that? What about um, your immediate area? What about... um, maybe a protest that's 10 blocks from your office and you can't see it and you haven't heard anything about it, but perhaps you actually, you know, have uh, programs through like Onsolve or Everbridge who where you've got a critical event management and you're being pinged that you have a key location that's near a protest or something like that that's going on or a building fire or an active shooter. So how does that come to your um, your organization, to yourself as well as the other people that need to be engaged so first of all, I think if if we haven't mapped all of our ways that we get situational awareness, that's kind of the first thing I think about. And there's internal sources and there's external sources. Mm-hmm. But then when you get that, how do you actually process it? You know, so it's handed to you. So once you've gotten situational awareness, then the next question is, okay, that's great. But then you need to then internally make some decisions would this have a particular impact to us? Is there a business impact? Is there a human resource impact? Uh, do we need to start communications and those kinds of things? So you need to process all of that. And then you need to actually then take that situational awareness that came externally to you and internally to you and then provide a briefing or some sort of display of information so that you can then inform decision makers who are going to either activate teams, activate plans, make communications, etc. So you got to receive it, but then you got to do something with it, right? You got to process it, you got to display it, you got to really make it usable information. Otherwise, you're just sort of throwing data at people like, okay, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? Because when you think about the situational awareness, when you receive it, then you, especially as a crisis manager or business continuity person or the emergency manager for an organization, have to then apply that to what it means to your location, your mm-hmm. company, your location as far as activities, and then serve that up. So that's actually sounds super simple, but most of my clients really struggle in finding ways to basically get that data, process it, then actually serve it up to the decision makers and then do something with it. 
Yeah, we. I remember working for a place. Uh, actually, it's the same company I just referenced earlier, um, where we did actually start to reach out to um, the city mm-hmm. where we were located when they were doing any changes to power lines uh, mm. anywhere in the city, because we weren't getting notified at one point, and further down the street, the city started to do some construction on the new mm. uh, warehouse that was going up. And a what could go hole, wrong? And a backhoe, <laughs> it ripped up a power line, <laughs> and we lost power. Wow. Uh, luckily, we had backups and things in place that got activated right away. And, but right after that, it was, okay, we need to get notifications of this kind of stuff now. And a new process was created. But <laughs> but if it wasn't there, hey, you know, and your example, too, uh, external of a... Um, a, a protest, you know, could be further mm-hmm. down the street, blocks away. But if you've got suppliers that now can't come through either, you know, right. or products, employees that can't get to work. Yeah, employees. Now what? Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, sure, the protest itself may not be a, a direct impact on you because you're further down, further away. But because of employees coming from that direction or service providers, they can't help you. Now you're impacted in a different way. Mm-hmm. 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 I remember, wasn't that, um, it was several years ago, wasn't there, I think, like um, either an active shooter or something that was near Parliament in Ottawa? Yes. And it, it had that same kind of thing, right? Where here you have something that's going on, not in Parliament or not in a, in those any of those government buildings, but this is happening nearby, adjacent. And then, you know, it, you get that information and then what, right? So that situational awareness is so important. So yeah. important. Yeah, and we did have a shooter actually get into the parliament parliament buildings. So ah, that's it changed right. all yeah. the security. It used to be a very open uh, mm. spot. It's mm-hmm. not as open anymore. Yeah, the side effects, right, of those kind of situations. Yeah. Certainly have seen that in the US. So I think the first thing that we always have to be doing is really exercising, testing, validating how we get situational awareness. Have we really have we really figured that out? Uh, and especially in a crisis, uh, sometimes you can't get enough information and sometimes you're drinking out of a fire hose and you need to be able to process it in a way that you can then do something with it and hand it over to the people that need to make decisions, including yourself, right? So that's the first thing. And that's really challenging, especially when it's uh, something unique. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that when you actually gather all that situational awareness, then you come to the next stage, which is really the need to improvise. Now, I think what I find fascinating in all my years of practice is that when people have to improvise, there's a lot of discomfort initially. Because after all, you spend a lot of time designing all these plans, all these business continuity plans. But I will tell you something, that in the vast majority of emergencies that I've seen over my lifetime, that many times people pull out their plan, you know what? nothing's there. Nothing's there to fit this particular situation. Or they wrote it in such a narrow fashion, it really wasn't expandable or helpful. And so they pick it up, they look at it, and then pretty much they throw it on the floor. And it's like, well, okay, that wasn't very helpful. And then you have to make it up. A better word probably would be improvise. But that's really important. And I think there's a lot of discomfort about that initially because people are thinking like, well, hey, 
I spent all this time writing these plans and I pulled it out and it wasn't helpful. But that's what happens with some regularity, even in situations that it could have been foretold, but there's nothing in the plan. Do you ever see that? Actually, I will use a situation that I encountered a few years back at a client. They did have a situation that was a government agency. And what was happening was not in their business continuity plan. It wasn't considered in there because they considered an HR issue. So hmm. HR had something documented, but what got communicated was that the business continuity plan didn't address the situation, wasn't good enough. But HR went and did it on their own and didn't want it in the business continuity plan. Interesting. So there was this really big disconnect between the two mm -hmm. because there was the perception HR is doing their own thing now mm -hmm. and business continuity isn't doing what we need them to do. Mm -hmm. But yet all that information was there. Mm, interesting. Interesting. But in the wrong document, in other yeah. words. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that when we went through the pandemic, that really changed people's vision about how we all need to improvise. Because no one could have foretold in their plans anyway, that we would have been in a situation where all of a sudden, you know, within the span of a few days... People were sent home and not brought back for those individuals who could work remotely. Um, that wasn't in plans. And I, and I will be honest with you, in all the pandemic plans we have ever written, hundreds of them around the world, based on the technology when those plans were written, it was never, ever in my mind that large numbers of people would be working from home primarily because there wasn't the infrastructure of the internet, there wasn't the bandwidth uh, to actually be able to successfully work from home. And we had very elaborate plans about people working three shifts, you know, people being spread out in large footprints, so there would be no physical contact at all, people wearing masks, you know, ventilation issues, all of that, but not that people would actually be able to work remotely. And and it was really only in the span of the last year or two where that was even remotely a possibility. And then, of course, people pull out their plans. It's like, well, we're not doing that. We don't need to do that. People could work at home. We could have them get a higher, I know, bandwidth and their and their internet and their home space. And next thing you know, we're all working remotely. A great example of how to improvise. Yes. Uh, believe it or not, we only have a minute and a half left. Do you want to take a break now? And uh, let's take uh, Let me talk, let's talk about one more thing, and then we'll actually okay, sure. take a break. I think the thing that I think about when I think about uh, the issues of how to improvise is that one of the things that I really wish, and you and I have talked about this many times before, but I'm going to lay it in here because it's if people would be improvising when in reality they could write it in their plans, and that is the issue of a cyber attack. I mean, we are constantly inundated with information about companies failing to be productive for long periods of time because they've never thought about and documented what they would do. And so people think, well, I'm just going to make it up. And what I am here to say is that I believe and wish and pray that everybody listening to this would add to their business continuity plans under the broad umbrella of sustained technology outage 
sustained technology outage, that they would actually have three things documented. Because otherwise, you're going to have to make this up, honey. And let me tell you, it's not going to be pretty. The first thing is, what do I do with sustained technology outage? Meaning, I can't, I have no access to anything. What can I do? Now, people will say, like, we'll just figure it out when we get there. Well, no, you can figure a lot of that out right now. So I want some, like, you know, do we open up spreadsheets? Do we do things, you know, blah, 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 blah. How do you do that now? So that's the first thing. The second thing I want them to have in that plan is how do they deal with data loss? Think of most organizations. You cannot just make up numbers. If you lost three or four or five, six days of data, what are you going to be doing? I mean, if you're a financial in particular. And the last thing is, essentially, is how do you validate the information when your technology team gives it back to you? I have never, ever, ever seen any of my clients have any of that. And I will tell you, and all my clients who have had a horrible cyber attack, they need to do all three of those things. Uh But they could have thought about that in advance right now. And so that's called improvisation, but they should be doing it right now and it should be documented. And on that note, we could take a break. We are, we're gonna take a break. (laughs) Today we're talking with Regina Phelps and we will be right back. Birdie told me Voice America is on X. Follow us at Voice America TRN. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fullick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Are you a business owner, 1099 contractor, part-time employee, or volunteer who needs group health coverage you can actually afford? Do you know a nonprofit who would benefit from unlimited zero-cost funding? How about cost reduction, school safety, mental health wellness, and more? All these and more are fair game on finding certainty. If you want more certainty in your own life, you are not alone. Join us each Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Find your own brand of certainty and realize your personal American dream with Finding Certainty, hosted by Patrick Lang. Let's unwrap the certainty experience together. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. 
Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Regina Phelps, and we are talking about leadership in times of crises. Great first segment there, Regina. That was pretty, went by fast, didn't it? It did. So before we go on to the next one, and we were just chatting while we were at the break, uh, and you had a really good example. I asked you if you had a good example, and you said yes. And I'd love you to just briefly talk about the example of how to improvise, and especially in relationship to the cyber attack and your experience, because your experience is what I hear from my clients all the time. I'd love you to share. Yeah, it was a, uh, a really tough conversation with between IT and the business. And uh, even though I was business continuity, I was reporting through IT at the time. And we were having that conversation about data loss. And let's face it, business was saying, well, you guys will get it all back up and running and it'll all be there again. And we were having tough conversations like, no, that's not what could happen. You could lose data. Well, we don't know how to get that data. Well, you're going to have to find a way. And we had to have tough conversations and things started to, to happen. Like we were a financial institution. So everything we sent was going through a bank. I said, you're going to have to get on the phone with the banks, find out what we have sent you the last 24 or 48 hours, all the files, getting copies of those files. Mm-hmm. When the systems are available again, uh, find out uh, you know if you the data you have received from your banks, if it's there, what needs to be re-entered in, what may have changed. You're, you're, while you're waiting for that, you're still going to be doing some other operations. So you've got to track things through spreadsheets, and then when it's all available, you've got to find out what is new, what's old, what you don't need, uh, and reconcile it so that it all works out again. I I said, that's you. That's not IT. They don't have access to that data now, so there's no way they're going to be able to do that for you in a a cyber situation. That is all on you. Mm -hmm. That was tough. That was a tough pill for them to swallow. Right. But, you know, that's such a great example. This is what I hear from so many of my clients. It's not my responsibility. It's somebody else's. And that's not true. Ultimately, it's the individual business units who have been using that data, sharing it, whatever. They need to really walk through that. And one of the best things you can do in an exercise is to really sort of, you know, boil that ocean and say, okay, there's three days of data that are not available. And then the question is, what are we going to do? And so many of my clients, especially I do a lot of work in the central bank world, and they have really worked hard to figure that out. But it's something that everybody needs to do. And that's where an exercise really focusing on those kinds of cyber events could be super helpful. So thank you for sharing that, because I think that's a really great example of real world where everybody's going like, no, it's not mine. It's somebody else's. Well, no, it's you. You're the business, right? Yep. Well, the second uh, or the third characteristic is being creative and being highly adaptable. And and again, what you're talking about right now is the issue of creativity. How can you exercise creativity to be able to really change and um, get what you need and continue to move forward? And I want to emphasize that sometimes, again, people are thinking in really unorthodox ways because they have to. It's not something that maybe that you would in your own comfort of your own situation would normally do, but sometimes you have to be really different in your approach. I've had clients that have taken 
Uh, for example, like in data where they actually do a scrape every night and they store it in a, in a secure site, but it's not within the company's usual. They have another site that the IT department has actually put aside so they can actually have a data scrape. They know exactly what they what they did that day and they could actually go to that if they had to. Uh, it's in a secure site, but it's not part of your normal technology, so it would not be impacted in either something like a cyber attack or possibly just a, a major collapse of your data center. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what could you do that may feel unorthodox and really different? And that's what people really need to think about and being highly adaptable. Yes. And I think, you know, that's the other part of that is that when we look at being adaptable, it's, again, not being wed to one idea, one strategy, you know, it's like if the first thing doesn't work, well, then what's the second thing? If that doesn't work, well, then what's the third thing? And being really willing to keep moving and trying. And if it doesn't work, what's the next thing? And we would, might be doing things that are really different than we would ever do in our normal life. Don't you think? Yes. I think you've uh, leadership and uh, has to make it clear we, we are open mm-hmm. to any and all ideas, mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. that you know, let's brainstorm ideas. And then as soon as someone gets three words out of their mouth, you shoot it down. It's like, no, let them finish because anything could, we could use today. Even, even a small nugget of what someone says could Mm -hmm. be useful in in a cyber event or any other, you know, crises. Well, sometimes, you know, that's the idea that sometimes the the craziest idea that you hear might actually be the best one. And to you, I, and I like what you just said, Alex. That that sometimes people would be thinking, "Oh, that's really stupid. We would never do that." Well, you know, you might, yeah, because you don't have any other options. And that's, I think, a really important thing. No, there is no such thing as a as a bad idea. We've often heard that, but I will tell you, in a crisis, you're going to hear all kinds of ideas, and you better can seriously consider them because many of them might be the ones that really save you. Yeah, and. Going back to, again, a well-designed exercise, when you're trying to get people to think really differently, you can design situations that present people with problems that you've never considered, aren't documented. Why is that a great thing? Because then they're going to think, well, okay, what what could I do? And what you want to do is you want to really encourage that. And I really want to think, I mean, just look at what's like the supply chain issues uh, that's another example. Well, we would never go to another supplier. Well, I don't know. Maybe you're going to because you can't get what you need. So if you feel that you've got situations where you don't have enough options, you know, create scenarios, create narratives that actually deliver those problems. And then people have to try and work through them. And then you take all of those great ideas and you put them into your continuity plan. If A didn't work, try B. If B didn't work, try C. If C didn't work, try D. And so on and so on and so on. But it's really making it a highly adjustable, highly malleable kind of plan where there's lots of things in there. Instead of saying like, oh, we're always going to do this and then we're always going to do that. Well, you know, hey, yeah. I've had so many clients where that didn't work at all. And so yeah. that's what I really wish people would really think about. That and be sense? open to and be open to all ideas from everyone, Absolutely. not just your leadership. Because if you weren't open to ideas, um, 3M would not have the post-it note. Right, exactly. That's a great example. It's a great example. Yeah. And so don't look at something and think like that's goofy. Well, you know, <laughs> how many great goofy ideas have we had, right? Yeah. Lots. <laughs> Lots. So I think that's that's really important, having an open, an open mind. 
The next one on my list is, is acting decisively. Wow. I can tell you how many clients of mine that fail to do that, which is always heartbreaking to me, but it's really true. Many times people, you know, it's like, okay, who's going to make the decision? Ooh, I don't know who's going to make the decision. So we have this sort of dancing around. And so the idea is that we really need to make sure that we act decisively in a crisis because otherwise, otherwise we're going to be in a situation where we are just pushing the, the, you know, the ball down the road, so to speak, and we're not getting any clarity. So once people have gotten as much situational awareness as you can possibly get, and then you have taken your plans and all of your new interactive plans and all the things that you never thought you would ever do, then we take the situational awareness combined with whatever we think the best option is at that moment, then somebody has to make the decision to do it. And I find in a lot of companies, that's where people really struggle. Yeah. Everybody looks at each other. Well, what do you think? What do yep. you think? Yep. And yep. it'll go around and around and around. Right. Right. But somebody has to make a decision. So when I look at people that in leadership, I am looking for a decisive person because you have to be able to willing to have the guts and hopefully the support to make the decision. Yeah. And if you make the wrong one, you need to make another one. Yeah. That's how it works, right? You're, you're constantly adjusting. I've told people it's okay to make the wrong decision, learn from it and keep moving forward. But if right. you just sit there and don't make a decision, that's even worse. Right. And I think, um, boy, I, I tell you, when I look for leadership skills, I want somebody who has, when I, in a crisis, I want somebody with strong leadership skills. And the second and most important thing to me, which sometimes is actually the most important, is I need them to act decisively. And sometimes in an organization, I'm sure you've ran into this, is that sometimes people just can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> They're so afraid of what's going to happen if they make the wrong decision. And so, you know, that's where having leadership support in our work is so important, where you've got a <clears throat> executive sponsor who understands this and knows that decisions are not always going to be 100% and that things are going to fail. That's a, and that's such an awful word, right? It's not that you're yeah. failing, you're trying stuff, it didn't work, you try something else. And so I need, and this goes back to many things we talked about before and all the times we've talked, the issue of having a strong governance program, having an executive sponsor, having somebody that's going to go to bat for you and that you know that and that you're constantly moving the ball forward. That is our job every single day. And on that note, I think we should take a break. We're going to take a break. We're talking with Regina Phelps today, and we will be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. 
Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. If you're a business owner who wants to use the power of free enterprise to not just help yourself and your own family, but your employees, your community, and the world at large, then tune in to Socially Responsible Business. Host Sharon Schneider, a serial entrepreneur and impact advisor to some of the world's most prominent families, will help you uncover all the ways you can succeed financially while using your business as a force for good. Every show will include practical ideas and tools that you can implement right away. And it's not about spending more money. It's about thinking and spending differently. Socially Responsible Business, hosted by Sharon Schneider. Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Regina Phelps about leadership in times of crisis. Regina, great first and second segment. Now let's move on to the next point. Great. So once we've had our decision, which we hopefully have gotten from somebody that you work closely with and done exercises and you practiced and you got support and blah, blah, blah. Then, of course, then what you have to do is you have to communicate the decision and you have to communicate the direction. Uh, And that's a really important issue. And I think, first of all, we want to make sure that we are setting realistic expectations about that issue of communication. And I find Sometimes that's not so clearly done. Um, you need to communicate in all possible ways. And I think um, this is another great example of where exercises are really important. How many times have you heard from communications teams that, oh, yes, we're really smart and we can figure it out at the moment and we're going to design everything in advance? Or never, we're going to make it, not in advance, you're going to basically uh, write all the communications in real time so that they're 100% accurate. We don't need templates. Have you ever heard that? I unfortunately do hear that a lot. And then uh, I also hear the next part after that. And then when legal has reviewed it. Right. Right. (laughs) Shoot me, shoot me, shoot me. Shake my head. Like, oh my God. (laughs) 
Yes. So just imagine that we've gone through all of the stages that we've talked about and you're moving along. You've had this, you know, you've been creative. You've had to collaborate. You've had designed things on the fly. You've had great leadership. You've made a decision, blah, 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 blah. And then we get down to communicating it. Oh, my gosh. To your point, that's another failure that I see often. And I'm not picking on my comms colleagues, but oh, my gosh, it's a complicated problem. And part of that is, is that I think we might have even done a segment on this sometime in the years we've been talking, but the idea of having a clear strategy and governance plan for communications in advance, because communications are only good if they are timely. And just what you just said a moment ago, the comms were written and then they went to legal. And then what happens, Alex? Oh, then it usually goes through a dozen rounds of reviews and changes. Meanwhile, the clock is ticking and your crisis is still moving forward. Right. And in our day of social media, Mm. if there is a vacuum in the information highway, there are people that will happily fill it up for you. Right? People on the street, people you... Your employees, I mean, everybody will be talking about what's going on, and you have not shared a thing. So one of the things that I beg my clients um, to develop, and I, I don't know if anybody rags on this besides me so much. I call it a governance plan or a governance document for communications that clearly spells out three simple little things. I say simple when it's not really simple, but you know what I mean. So the first thing is that who has the authority to write communications? So who can write them? That should be clearly noted. Secondly, who has the authority to edit them? Oh my gosh, that, (laughs) that alone is a sinkhole of time. Because you see a comms get written. Okay, finally, I've got it written. Then what happens, it starts the circulation through the people who feel they can opine. I don't like that comma. I don't like that word there. We need to, and that can suck all the time out of the room. Oh, yeah. I don't want that. I don't want that. I want to know clearly who has the authority to edit anything, which could maybe it's legal and maybe it's certain executive, whatever, Then, once I know who can write it, who can edit it, then the last one is who can approve it. And if you want effective communications, the most important thing for you to do is to get that worked out with your comms team, primarily in legal, and your executives, so that not everyone feels that they have the right to opine on everything. Mm -hmm then your chances of getting timely comms out are much better because communications are only really effective if they are timely. Otherwise, then what you are is that you're constantly defending and pushing back on what everybody else has said about you. Yes. Right? And now you've got two situations to deal with, a PR one and the actual situation itself. Right, right. And I I, I can't emphasize that enough. And I, I think most companies generally fail relatively miserably on this topic, which is really heartbreaking to me. Well, I I remember 
writing a crisis management and communications plan for a company. And what we did uh, at the back, we had about a dozen different templates that mm -hmm. were all, here's what we would say initially, here's what our follow-ups would be. And they were all worded and with just blanks for the detail that needed to go in mm -hmm. so that it cut out all the reviews that needed to be done. We just had to slot in the situation. Mm -hmm. The first one was always the one we'd use. And then depending on the situation, you could pick one from the other templates. Right. If something else needed to be written, we still had something that could go out while right. something else was being written. Right. The initial holding statement, because, you know, to be honest with you, Alex, you and I could make up the uh, initial holding statement of 99.9% .9 of every incident that's ever going to happen. Yeah. And we don't even know what it is yet. Yeah. Exactly. So we, we know something is going on. We're evaluating it. If appropriate, we're working with local authorities or whomever, and we'll get back with you. I mean, that's what you're going to say. So yeah. why do we spend hours getting that approved when it basically says the same thing? Yeah. And now everybody is filled in all the air. And then you have to defend it and push back. And it's ridiculous. Yeah. And now you're, like I mentioned, you've got two situations to deal with. But that compounds your communication because now you're communicating on two different things, which makes it more difficult in case one has some information come out the other side isn't aware of yet. And right. now it looks like your whole company doesn't know what's going on. Right. Exactly right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not rocket science, but I'm just amazed how often it is completely messed up. Yeah. <laughs> and part of that is, you know, there's no governance document. We don't know who's really, you know, who's on first, who's on second, blah, blah, blah. And then the bad thing happens and it just blows up. And so I beg all of our colleagues to think about this concept of a communications governance document that really helps lead this and then training your executives so they understand what they all agreed to. And then when the bad thing happens, we have templates, we've got processes, we know who can edit, who can write, who can um, approve, and we're out of there. But it yeah. takes training, discipline, exercises, and you can actually make that happen. Yeah. What a concept, right? The last two things I want to mention um, are important, but so now we've gone through this whole cycle, right? We're almost back up the top of my circle, um, is that we have to now do something, right? We have to act. So our job is that once we've gone through all of this, now the rubber has hit the road, my friend, and we have to do something. So plans get activated, you know, um, <clears throat> teams are deployed, communications are issued, Blah, 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 blah. <clears throat> Super important. But I mean, that's the next step, right? Uh -huh. And then what you're constantly doing, once you've actually gone through that, making the decision, we've walked through the door. Then the last thing is, is reevaluation. And so that brings us back to the top. So this is, as you pointed out, a contiguous loop. We are constantly doing the same thing over and over again. Because once we've now made the decision and we're moving forward. Now we are constantly reevaluating, constantly. Is it working? Is it not working? What, what's happening? Does it make sense? And then that goes back to situational awareness. How do you know if it's working or not? Because you've gotten situational awareness in that actually helps you. So these seven things are what we do all the time over and over and over again. We may have never plotted it out, but this is what we do. As an organization, right? As a as a as a business, yeah, as a and you adjust as things unfold. Mm -hmm. If you're lucky, it doesn't get worse. 
Right. You know, right. But that takes a lot rare. more than anything else. <laughs> that's rare. Right. right. <laughs> but right. If you are doing the things that you point out here, then you can actually adjust, reevaluate, like you said, where you are and pivot when you need to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you are looking at uh, external sources, you know, hey, my partners aren't complaining. They know what's going on. They're ready at their end. They're waiting for us. They're not complaining. They're not on social media, you know, lambasting us. So we're doing something right with them. So let's keep doing it. You know, whatever we're doing, let's keep keep going in the right direction, you know, or authorities or showing compassion and caring if, if you know, Lord forbid that uh, a person is injured or, or you know, or worse. You know, you're showing that first, you know, not not putting a process over people. But if you have the process in place, it will definitely help the people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, this is a continuum. And I think sometimes people think that this is like a dead end, right? Like we do all this work and then magically it's over. No, no, no. I mean, hopefully the pandemic has proven to us that this is an ongoing process. We're constantly revising. We're constantly doing this, but there is a continuum and that's our job. Our job as crisis managers, our job as resiliency professionals is to understand that we're not, we're not removed from this process. We hopefully are guiding it all the way along. And we understand that we're constantly in this loop. And our job is to keep moving us one step forward, one step forward, and we're swinging constantly around. So it's just what we do for a living. But yep. you are. Believe it or not, we've come to the end of the show, Regina. Really, Alex, isn't that amazing? Blah, we blah, actually, blah, 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 right? We actually got a full topic in. Yes. Episode. <laughs> that is so rare for us. <laughs> I know. I don't know. Sometimes we're just so, yeah, we like to talk to each other. <laughs> well, it's always a good chat. That's why, right? So Always a good chat. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And if people do want to uh, read your article, it's on GRC Outlook. And mm-hmm. just look for the title, Leadership in Times of Crisis by Regina Phelps. Great uh, article of which we touched on today. So please go check that out. And until next time, Regina, actually next time. Uh, I'll see I, you in person, DRG, Orlando, exactly. be there. Yes, I will actually see you in person and you're going to stop by. We're doing a live broadcast, James Green and myself. So you're going to be one of our guests and come by and have a quick chat with us while we broadcast live. I can't wait. Sounds like fun. Either. It's going to be a great time in Orlando. Absolutely. So, thanks again, uh, Regina, for a great chat and everyone watching and listening. Stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.